1: A good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
0: We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.
2: I'm jane Pauley, and this is a special edition of sunday morning our home issue the pleasures and promise and possibilities of life at home we found a nice place to call home this morning the lyndhurst mansion in tarrytown new york just up the hudson river from new york city a 19th century escape from city life in the early days of the pandemic so many people fled life in the city and discovered they could work wherever they want and live just about anywhere they desire. It's been given a name, the great reshuffling, as David Pogue will report.
3: In smallish cities all over America, something crazy is going on in real estate.
1: This market is sizzling, burning up on fire. It is amazing. It's just insane.
3: And if you're selling your house, you're sitting pretty.
1: It was around 65000 more than asking price.
3: Coming up on Sunday morning, meet the winners and losers in The Great Reshuffling.
2: They say home is where the heart is. Martha Teichner has met two TV renovation stars whose hearts are in their hometown. I love my hometown.
4: Their hit HGTV show has made them big-time ambassadors
5: for saving small town
4: America.
6: There's a redemption
4: story in It's everything. a redemption
5: story in every single house and people need that, people need to feel hope.
4: We're gonna visit Laurel, Mississippi, hometown of Aaron and Ben Napier. Ahead on Sunday morning.
2: The song, Our House, is an ode to home and hearth, released just over 50 years ago by the group Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. They'll be looking back with Anthony Mason.
7: Our house is a very, very, very fine house.
8: Just over half a century ago, a supergroup released one of Rock's seminal albums. How would you describe the period of recording that album? Chaotic. You talk about how you guys butt heads all the time.
9: Well, it was glancing blows, but they were continuous. Yeah. And that tends to numb your skull, and you turn into numb skulls.
8: Crosby, Stills, and Nash remember joining up with Neil Young to record Deja Vu later on Sunday Morning.
2: Lee Cowan visits a building that holds a whole town. And Califasane talks about homes with the homeless. And more on this special Sunday Morning at Home. We'll be back in a moment. The dream of living and working from just about anywhere has become reality for many during the pandemic. David Pogue has been charting the great reshuffle.
3: Boise, Idaho is a great place to live. It's got natural beauty great weather and friendly people but wow is something going on with the real estate is this your house
1: it used to be my house
3: <gasps> alicia figueroa recently sold her house here and the experience was
1: incredible we had over 150 people walk through in two days which is pretty mind-blowing we had nine offers half of those for cash and I'm still here because the buyer is allowing me to live here for five months rent-free.
3: Are you willing to share how much more than the listing price it finally went for?
1: It was around 65000 more than asking price. But really, it was even more than the money. They also didn't require any kind of an inspection or an appraisal. They paid all of the closing costs. And, you know, this, is, this was not an unusual offer.
10: If you contacted me today and said, I'm looking at buying somewhere in the Boise, Greater Treasure Valley. I'd say uh,
3: put on your gear, buckle up. Colby Lampman owns Homes of Idaho, a real estate agency that his mother Debbie founded in 1990.
1: This market, compared to the other hot markets in the past, is sizzling,
3: burning up on fire. According to the real estate website Zillow, home values in Boise have shot up. 32% 32% in a year, the biggest increase in the country. Real estate in Boise was already thriving, but the pandemic superheated that trend thanks to the remote working movement that came with it. There's people deciding, where do I want to land? I can
10: keep yeah. my job and live anywhere, so where do I want to live? This is a nationwide yes. thing that's happening, this great reshuffling of people. He's right. Smaller cities
3: all over America are seeing a similar boom, Just ask real estate pros like Latrice McFadden in Durham, North Carolina.
1: It's just insane.
3: We've seen tens of thousands, even $100,000 above list price. Or Lori finkelstein Reader in Miami, Florida.
2: Imagine you go to an open house. There could be 50 cars, yes, five, zero, 50 cars in a line outside waiting to see that property.
3: Or Joseph Tamburo in Fort
8: Lee,
11: New Jersey. This has been the busiest market that I've seen in 34 years.
8: It's doing unbelievable.
3: Or Thomas Brown in Austin, Texas.
11: There was a home that came on the market. It was $460,000. Our clients said, hey, here's what we'll do. We'll buy this house. We will buy the seller's next house. So they've been in the mid-700s on the home, and they offered to buy the
3: seller's next home. Was it accepted? It was accepted. So you guys coined this term, the great reshuffling. What does that mean?
12: It's more people moving. You know, remote work has allowed us to really wrap our work around our lives as opposed to wrapping our lives around our work.
3: Amanda Pendleton is the home trends expert for Zillow, whose website had 9.6 billion visits in 2020, up 19 percent from the previous year.
12: The pandemic really accelerated some trends that we were seeing prior to the pandemic. People are moving to metros that offer relative affordability and year-round outdoor living.
7: And
3: where are they moving from?
12: So we have been seeing a shift away from really expensive coastal metro areas to some of these more affordable metros.
3: In this Wall Street Journal animation, the yellow dots show the flow of people out of California in 2020. Two of those dots might represent Dustin and Brenda Heft, who used Colby Lampman's agency to find their new home in Boise. Like 20 percent of all Lampman's clients, they bought this Boise house without ever having seen it in person. They'd had only a video tour. At what point did you finally walk in after we signed the papers and got the keys what sent you here from california my company is amazing and allowed me to work uh, remotely really wanted to pivot (laughs) to somewhere that was a little more a little more uh our style. Is there any pushback among the locals to see all the Californians moving in? To your face, no. Um, But, you know, in conversations (laughs) and stuff, you'll hear some people that are pretty unhappy. And a lot of locals, you know, just can't afford to buy anymore. Those locals include Joey and Lauren Jenkins, who stopped by at this open house. With 60 percent of Boise homes selling for more than the asking price, they're getting discouraged.
0: My wife and I, and we have our little son now, we're just trying to move different area closer to schools and there's no way. We can't afford it. Two hardworking people, hardworking family, having a house with a yard and a fence should be something doable. Well, plus there's the
3: question about, can Boise handle it? I mean, traffic? Absolutely, we have friends now that are finally having like an hour long commute. Come on, we're in Idaho. It shouldn't take an hour to get anywhere. What are you gonna do? So we're gonna sit, we're gonna wait. He may be waiting a long time. The great reshuffling shows no signs of slowing. For one thing, mortgage rates are at rock-bottom lows. And for another, according to Zillow's Amanda Pendleton, the country is experiencing a kind of generation clash.
12: So we have millennials, the largest generational group in the country, and they're aging into their home buying years. Baby boomers, meanwhile, are healthier, they're living longer, and they want to age in place. So we've got millennials competing with baby boomers, and they're looking at very similar types of homes, smaller, more affordable, starter homes. And so this is what's really driving unrelenting demand that we expect to see in the market for many years to come.
3: For now, Alicia Figueroa is packing up the house she sold she's one of the winners in the great reshuffling. It really does sound like you were in exactly the right place at exactly the right time, like Boise, 2021.
1: Couldn't be any better.
2: Our homes are private spaces, not museums. But Mark Phillips in London walks us through a museum that's a collection of homes
13: there's a 300 year old row of townhouses in london where they know all about how the home has changed over the years today this building is the museum of the home where they're just getting ready to reopen after a three-year refurbishment and just in time could there have been a better time for a museum of the home to reopen
14: it's a brilliant time for us to be talking about home because, you know, around the world, people have been in lockdown, um, which means that people have been thinking more intensely about their domestic spaces than ever before.
13: Sonia Salakari is the museum's director. What are we looking at here? Drawing room 1915, it, it says.
14: Yep, so this is a suburban family home.
13: Sonia oversees the exhibits that recreate the spaces we've lived in over time. This one goes back to the 1600s. And they continue through the technological and social changes that have brought us to today. From the arrival of the knife and fork, to electricity, to television, to the home computer. Sometimes that journey has been more of a circle than a straight line. Back to the future. We like to think, you know, that we've invented everything. Yeah. And now we think this whole idea of working from home, the home office, is a brand new thing, is it?
14: No. So if you look back at the home, certainly in the UK, in the 1600s, in an urban environment, you were very likely to be living above the shop or mm-hmm. conducting business from your hall space.
13: You haven't gotten around to the home office room yet. Is that coming? <laughs>
14: um, no, but like I said, our, our room from the 1630s does talk about the fact that... The 1630s. I, yeah, yeah. But I, I know, absolutely.
13: The home office today, of course, wouldn't be possible without the connectivity that started with the phone.
14: Yeah. so the telephone, obviously, it started to come into the home from the 1870s.
13: And if you think our lockdown lifestyle was a new thing, look at what's next to it, a restaurant
14: menu. So, you know, when takeaway started to come in in the 1970s, you know, people could call out for, for their food, something which we absolutely take for granted now.
13: We sure do. And that shopping from home thing, that's not new either. Remember the mail order catalog?
14: that started to really blossom in the 19th century huge mail order um, market started very much in the states came over to the uk very quickly
13: how we lived how we cleaned
14: so this room tells the story of the pain and pleasure of housework so
13: it's partly about what what you use the machinery and the and the stuff but it's also partly about who did it uh, I, I suppose, as well,
14: right? Yeah, that's one of the stories that we tell, definitely. The gender division within housework. Yeah. Uh, that's a debate which is still ongoing.
13: <laughs> the unresolved here. The rooms tell our history. The suburban living room, the bachelor pad, the loft apartment.
14: So this is part of the trend for converting industrial buildings. It happened uh, a lot in New York, it right. happened in London in the east.
13: Does a place like this give you a, a sense of perspective, a sense of history? It's always, it's always changed.
14: Yep, I think it's always changed. There's always been challenges. And the home is evolving, not just through time, but, you know, week to week, day to day. I mean, how you might think about your home in the morning might be different to how you think about it in the evening. So home is constantly evolving.
2: For many of us, the word home includes not just our family home, but also our hometown. True enough for the TV renovation stars Martha Teichner has been watching.
5: We're Aaron and Ben Napier. We live in a beautiful small town in Mississippi.
6: Our town has seen hard times, but we're committed to changing that
4: one house at a time. So began episode one, season one of Hometown on HGTV.
5: We'll be back to help you on that porch in a little while. We made the pilot and assumed it probably won't be on TV, it was just for fun. And then it was on TV. And it was 2.2 million people watched it. There was a snowstorm on the East Coast that day.
4: Meaning a captive audience. But it wasn't a fluke.
5: Now it feels like the whole city is just vibrating.
4: Five years later, Aaron and Ben are HGTV superstars.
5: They said, We want to make this a home renovation show, but also a romantic comedy.
6: I feel like Romeo.
5: My big sweaty Romeo.
6: A love story about us and about us and our town and us and our friends.
4: And about possibility. Laurel, Mississippi, population 18,000 or so, like so many other small towns, had been hollowed out. Erin, a graphic artist, grew up in Laurel. She moved back with Ben, a furniture maker, when they got married after college.
5: I don't like to be told what I can and cannot do. I don't like to be told that you cannot have a professional art career in Laurel, Mississippi. I don't like to be told that the place where I'm from is dead. It is interesting, and it's creative, and it's unusual, and I wanted to share that with the world. It's
4: amazing. <laughs> All but wow. one of the 70 buildings they've renovated in Laurel are homes. But new restaurants and shops have opened in what had been empty storefronts including Guilden Gentry, a stylish, clubby men's store with a barber chair in the back. Hey, Martha. Hey there. For me
6: and my friends, the idea of having a shop in downtown where we could go and get our haircut nothing fancy. A regular men's haircut was,
4: like, just the dream. A dream come true for the store's owner, Caroline Burks,
5: Caroline and Corey are moving back home. He's not from here, but she is.
4: Another Laurelite who came home to a town daring to reinvent itself.
5: I jokingly
3: tell tourists that Laurel had a 10-year plan, but the show helped compress that into, you know, three to four years.
4: Tourists? Yes, tourists. Thanks to the Ben and Aaron factor.
15: It's because of them. You enjoy their personalities on TV of what they're doing for their town that you want to just
4: see it yourself. We just got here. We're going to be here for two to three days and all because of Ben and Aaron. We love Ben. <laughs> what is it that you think makes people like you and your show?
5: It's it a, happy a happy place. It is a happy place. And they feel invested in Laurel and the story here, and I think they see something universal that maybe applies to where they're from, too. There were over 5,000 submissions.
4: Which is how it happened that HGTV created a hometown spinoff called Hometown Takeover.
7: Tuscaloosa, Alabama, we're coming!
5: It's obviously a huge undertaking, but if it's successful, then people should feel a renewed sense of hope in what can happen where they live.
4: When it premiered on May 2nd, six and a half million people saw Tabitha Poe's struggling women's boutique transformed. What happened next?
14: Less than 24 hours, the entire website was sold out. Just got them out of the box, sold.
4: And the store was so busy that Tabitha was swamped.
14: I was a mess. I could not hold back the tears. My shop can survive now.
6: Dual access. Oh, dude. Dual access, yeah. Back
4: in Laurel, Ben and a very pregnant Erin right. raced to finish shooting a new season of Hometown
5: right. before
4: their second Hello. child was born.
5: Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready?
4: They were about to show Donnell okay. Thornton what they'd done to her home on her $60,000 budget.
6: Right. And welcome to the Thornton house.
4: Oh, my God. <laughs> The reveal really is a surprise.
7: (laughs) This is cute!
4: And did it turn out the way you thought it would turn out or completely different? It turned out better. But for Aaron and Ben Napier, there's more to the story than the happy ending.
6: We hope that it is about small-town America. We hope that that's the takeaway from the show. Yeah,
5: and not backsplashes.
6: I mean, we love a pretty backsplash.
5: I love a great backsplash, it's true.
2: Imagine strolling around your hometown without ever having to step outside. Lee Cowan found some townspeople with no need to imagine.
10: Whittier, Alaska, about 60 miles from Anchorage, is both beautiful and yet gritty. It's wild, but tame. It's accessible, but also very remote.
13: Yeah, it's a, you know, a strange little town because there's only one way in and one way out. It's not for everybody, right? No, (laughs) It's, it's, it's not for everybody.
10: The path to Whittier goes straight under a mountain into a tunnel bored through more than two miles of solid rock. And that tunnel shuts down at night, leaving Whittier cut off
13: until morning. You know, you get to thinking, oh man, the tunnel's the only way out. What if there's an emergency or... Something I can't get out. Yeah. But I've gotten used to it.
10: He also had to get used to his address. Lee Shuford from North Carolina now lives on the 12th floor of what some describe as the Wilderness Tower. Now, a high-rise does seem out of place here, but what's even more surprising is that the Begich Towers, as it's officially called, is about the only place to live in all of Whittier.
12: People think it's weird. Yeah,
10: it is known as the weirdest city in Alaska. Yeah. But is it? It really
12: isn't. If I had one word, I would say it's magical. Just look
10: at their view. Dave Dickinson is Whittier's mayor. He, his wife Anna, and their 18-year-old daughter Janessa say they have almost everything they need right here. The Cozy Corner grocery store is stocked with essentials. There's a post office, a notary, even a church, all just an elevator ride away. We don't need all of the big box stores. We don't need all of the, the so-called conveniences of a large city.
12: I feel like it's made us better people because it doesn't matter where you came from, how much money you have. You know, we're all just here in this town trying to make it work.
10: That said, it's a hard place to have a social life. But There's
12: not a lot of, you know, single people in their 20s and 30s here. Right. I mean, I don't know why. I'm just
10: <laughs> what, about, uh, what about your social life?
13: What's a social life like Now, that's, that's probably... A little that's, troublesome. Uh, the, yep, that can, that can be a little troublesome.
2: And the dating question, nobody really dates here because we all grew up together, and that'd be kind of weird.
10: <laughs> a few weeks ago, Janessa started posting about her life in the building on TikTok. And soon had millions of views and just about as many questions. What are people asking the most?
2: Um, I think the weirdest question that I got was like, is it a cult? <laughs> 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 it's like, no, it's not. Um, I got so many comments on my TikTok saying, it looks sad, it looks depressing. And the community here just, it's so nice that you don't really ever feel sad. And you always have someone to talk to. It was built
10: by the military during the Cold War as a no frills barracks when the military left the alaska railroad took over it now owns almost all of the inhabitable land in Whittier and no one's going to build a a, a home on property that they don't own about 300 or so residents live here year-round many of them new families the school yes there is one it's connected to the building by you guessed it, another tunnel currently has about 50 students, ages 3 to 18.
1: It's important to be here for the right reasons. Lindsay
10: Erk moved here from South Dakota to teach.
1: No kid in this school can sit in the back of the classroom and not do something. They every kid is seen. That's what fills my bucket, and that's why I want to stay.
10: They do take care of their own here. Breakfast for the kids is often made by the teachers and during COVID is delivered right to the doorsteps of students like Yumi Alcantara.
1: We're too small to function in isolation.
10: You have to collaborate. You,
1: you do, and you have to be willing to work with each other.
10: And if we can do this, you're going to go straight down. Victor Shen also works with students here, and he's also a graduate. He was born and raised in Whittier, and came back because it's home. What don't people understand about Whittier? That there's nothing to do here. But there's, everything's here. And you think of all those things that you value in a community, we found that here. It's, it's home. To some, it may just be the strangest town in Alaska, but for residents, Whittier seems to be the answer to the call of the wild. Thank you.
13: What do you want people to know
10: about Whittier?
13: I just want them to know that it's a unique, uh, beautiful place in in its own way. Before you judge the town of Whittier, you need to come visit it first.
4: This Sunday morning, we're at home. Here again is Jane Pauley.
2: Our House is a very, very, very fine song, released just over half a century ago by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. This morning, a reunion with Anthony Mason.
7: One morning I woke up It's
8: considered one of the greatest albums of the rock era.
7: A new day, a new
8: way. What do you think of it when you hear it now?
9: There's masterpieces in there. Ain't a dog in the bunch. In
7: 1969,
8: the super group Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young recorded Deja Vu. Were you conscious while you were making the record of what you were making? Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah, we knew. You heard it when you hear "Carry On," you know what you heard. Carry
7: on, love is coming.
8: The record love would sell eight million copies.
16: But Deja Vu was intense, tragic in many ways, mm-hmm. but but a really decent album.
8: Crosby, Stills, and Nash had released their highly successful debut album earlier in 1969.
7: Wooden ships on the water,
8: free. David Crosby had come from the Birds, Stephen Stills from the Buffalo Springfield, and Graham Nash from the Hollies. But Stills wanted to add another member. What were you looking to add to the band? I mean, you wanted someone...
9: I wanted to be able to do what the Springfield used to do. I didn't want to be a folk group. Yeah. I wanted to be play rock and roll as well.
8: He settled on his former Buffalo Springfield bandmate, Neil Young. You were not in favor originally.
16: I wasn't in favor of it at all. We had uh, created, between me and David and Stephen, a vocal sound that was completely unique.
8: But Nash agreed to meet Young for breakfast in New York. I said, why, why should
16: we invite you into this band?
7: Mm-hmm.
16: And he looked at me and he said, have you ever heard me and Steven play guitar together? I went, yeah, I have. He was in the band from that moment on.
8: But the band was entering a dark period. Stills had just broken up with Judy Collins, Nash's relationship with Joni Mitchell was growing rocky. And Crosby's girlfriend, Christine Hinton, had been killed in a car crash.
9: I was in terrible shape. Yeah. I was uh, damn near destroyed. I'm just really lucky we were making that market because it gave me a raison d'etre. It mm-hmm. gave me a...
8: A reason to get up in the morning.
9: Damn right. And it's what kept me alive.
8: How would you describe... The period of recording that album chaotic you talk about how you guys butt heads all the time
9: well it was glancing blows but they were continuous yeah and that tends to numb your skull and you turn into numb skulls
8: and neil young the only band member who didn't talk for this story also went his own way in the studio
9: Neil, when he joins the band doesn't really join the band he made his tracks outside by himself and brought them and we sang on them,
8: which is kind of snotty. But they were good. He didn't even perform on either of your songs, did he?
16: No. He never sang or played on Teach Your Children, and he never sang or played on Our House.
8: Did that bother you?
16: No, listen to him. Yeah. they decent records.
8: Yeah.
7: Teach your children well Their father's hell
8: CSNY had started touring in the summer of '69. Your second gig? Woodstock.
9: (laughs) Our second gig was Woodstock. (laughs) I am yours.
7: You are mine. You are what you are.
8: The song Woodstock, written by Joni Mitchell, would be the biggest hit off of Deja Vu when it was released in 1970. At L.A.'s Morrison Hotel Gallery, Stills recently signed prints of the famous cover photo taken by Tom O'Neill.
9: The whole point was that the rebellion was getting very serious. Mm -hmm. That's why the uniform.
3: Almost cut my hair.
8: The 50th anniversary edition, a year late because of the pandemic, includes some memorable outtakes.
16: There's a demo of, of me singing uh, Our House, uh, and Joni uh, was there and, and sat with me at the piano and she started to play the top end of the keys. Only
7: for you. Our house is a very, very-
16: I wanted the fans of the Deja Vu record to, to be thrilled about what they were listening to and get an idea of what we went through as four people to make that one record.
8: But the band that made that record may never play together again. How are you all with each other?
16: Um, Stephen and Neil and I are great. Yeah. We talk often. Yeah. We don't talk to David. I don't know. I don't expect to be friends with Graham at any point.
9: Uh, Neil hates my guts. Why? I said bad stuff about his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Probably...
16: Don't say it, Dave.
8: Do you regret saying it?
16: Yeah, sure. You know, when that silver thread that connects a band gets broken, it's very difficult to glue the ends together. It it doesn't quite work. Yeah. And so... uh, things that happened in me and david's life broke that silver thread and, mm-hmm. and i for the life of me i can't put it back together do you wish you could yes i do i do wish i could only because uh of the loss of the
11: music
7: Love is coming to us.
11: <laughs>
8: 60 years later, the friendships may not have endured, but the songs have.
2: Before we get too comfortable talking about our lives at home, It's important to consider those among us with no home at all, which is what Califasane has been doing.
11: Excuse me, could you tell me? Excuse me, excuse me, could you tell me the time? Pedro has grown used to life on the streets. And they just pass you by and they just go like that. But he might never get used to being overlooked. And people out there have no idea that
15: it is okay to say no.
11: The story of homelessness is really lots of different
15: stories. I don't have family. My mother's dead, father's dead. I got sick,
9: wound up losing my work and everything.
16: You
11: just worry about staying alive, you know?
7: Hi
14: there. Happy Tuesday.
11: The need for help is obvious.
14: I can't stand out here no more.
11: It's very tough. My life is a nightmare. And yet the problem seems stubbornly hard to solve. We're all confronted with the extraordinary uh, challenges. Mike Kaufman, the mayor of Aurora, Colorado,
15: wanted to try something different. This was really a way in which I felt that I could understand it better. He says
11: he wanted to immerse himself in homelessness for a week.
15: What kind of ground rules did you set for yourself? Don't bring any money or access to money. Don't uh, bring any food. Uh, So I had a a backpack, had a sleeping bag, extra pair of socks, and the clothes I had, (laughs) and that was it.
11: How about a cell phone?
15: I did have a cell phone. He says it
11: served as a kind of panic button.
2: The day after Christmas, Mike Kaufman promised to stay in touch with me.
11: As well as a way to reach out to the local CBS station. I'm going to
15: just periodically text you.
2: And went undercover, to live among the homeless. Why
15: not do what most mayors would do, maybe commission some reports, have some meetings? It seems like a lot of the things we're trying are not really working. This was an opportunity for me to sit down side by side with people experiencing homelessness and talk to them not as a policymaker, but really as as one of them.
1: And
11: after eating and sleeping alongside some of his homeless
15: constituents...
1: This is not about a lack of shelter. It
15: absolutely is not. It is a lifestyle choice, and it is a very dangerous lifestyle. We're not going to solve the problems for people with addictive disorders. We're not going to solve the people uh, that have uh, mental health challenges, but we will help those uh, that that have economic challenges in terms of being able to afford stable housing.
17: I just think that um, we have to move away from the deserving-undeserving paradigm Mm. and really work towards what does the evidence show actually works.
11: Mary Cunningham has been studying homelessness for more than 20 years.
17: Homelessness has been with us for a long time. It increased significantly in the 1970s. And we responded by building shelters.
11: On any given night, more than half a million people live in shelters and on the streets. But Cunningham says the shelter system only manages the problem.
17: Shelters weren't really getting people back to where they needed to be, and that's in housing. And so in the 1990s, early 2000s, there was a response to homelessness that was more focused on housing.
11: The approach, called housing first, reverses the traditional model.
17: We would say, hey, let's help you get a job. We can help get you some substance use counseling, but you need to do all of those things first. So we really used housing as a reward, and Mm -hmm. it didn't work, quite frankly. Um, Why not? Because it's so hard to do those things, get a job, work on your mental health problems, when you're literally sleeping in a tent. So instead of giving housing second, third, or fourth, they give housing first. And that showed to be really successful.
11: Cunningham measures that success by seeing how many housing-first residents remain in their new homes over time. Her answer? 80%. That was the finding in Cunningham's study of a program in Denver which is next door to Aurora, where Mayor Mike Kaufman did his own on-the-ground research. Why is it that you think that the so-called housing-first model can't work more broadly?
15: I understand the notion that housing is so basic to the human condition that if you address that, not in a temporary way but in a permanent way, that the other things will fall in place. I just don't think that that's realistic. We're not Washington, D.C., Uh, We have to have balanced budgets. Cunningham says the problem
11: is perception. If I'm a politician, I would think that one of my first reactions is, this sounds expensive.
17: Housing provides really significant returns on investment. So, for example, let's take um, people who are experiencing chronic homelessness. They're moving in and out of shelter. They're moving in and out of emergency rooms. They're having interactions with police. All of those emergency services really cost a lot of money.
11: With Housing First, one study found emergency room visits dropped by 53%, arrests and incarcerations dropped by about 58%, and the use of emergency shelters essentially ended. Also, participants' mental health symptoms decreased by 35%, and the number of residents using any drugs fell 37%. Perhaps the most important finding. Since the Veterans Administration embraced the Housing First program a decade ago, veteran homelessness has been cut in half. The moment I enlisted, that started my path on homelessness. James Santiago served in the military for six years.
9: I got out of the Marine Corps in 89, wasn't diagnosed with PTSD until 2010. That's a long time. Didn't know why I was drinking as much as I
11: was. After living in shelters for three years, Santiago was placed in a Housing First program. He's been living in a fully stocked studio apartment like this one since 2012. And so you have the bed, table with a couple chairs, yeah. an air conditioner, a place to put your stuff, your very own bathroom. In New York City, where homelessness rates are among the highest in the country, Jericho Project is one of the organizations that provides housing and services, like substance abuse and career counseling for veteran and other homeless populations. The people who live in this facility, do they pay rent? They do. They pay rent.
17: They pay one-third of their income.
11: Adriana Rodriguez-Baptiste oversees programs at Jericho Project. And if they have no income?
17: We help them find income.
11: The Urban Institute's Mary Cunningham says it's going to take more advocacy to make housing first widely available. Is part of the work convincing everyday people, everyday taxpayers, that it's actually a good idea, while they're paying their rent every month or paying their mortgage every month, to give free housing to some other people, some of whom
17: might have problems? Yeah. Part of it is there are myths that people choose to be homeless, and I don't think the evidence bears that out. When you offer someone a key to an apartment, they take that choice. The problem is, is people just don't have good choices.
9: They know what the solution is. They'd rather them die in the street. You see, that makes
11: me cry. Most people think of homelessness as something that happens to someone else.
16: I least thought they were a victim of their own poor choices.
11: People who experience it firsthand. I'm doing the right things to get somewhere and I ain't going no damn way. Still can't quite believe it.
14: I'm really trying my best to be something.
11: All I need is a little room or a kitchenette. For some of them, a place to live doesn't seem like the solution to all their problems. But it does seem like a start.
16: My biggest hope is that the day will come that when I first wake up in my apartment, I'm not worried that I'm still on the street. When I wake up and i am
11: know I'm at home.
2: I'm Jane Pauley. We hope you've enjoyed our celebration of life at home. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning.